In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome to the true life podcast thank you for waking up spending a little time with me this morning i got an interesting set of ideas that i think you'll enjoy first up in life if you do what is easy your life will be hard if you do what is easy your life will be hard if you do what is easy then your life will be hard. But if you do what is difficult, if you do what is hard, if you do what is difficult, then your life will be easy. It seems a bit like a paradox if you take a few moments to actually think about those words and let them roll around in your head. But it's true. Imagine those of us who have found luxury in sleeping in till noon and waking up and eating some pancakes and a gallon of coffee, laying around the house and watching TV. That is easy. But your life will be hard. Like your veins and your heart and your relationships. But if you have some discipline and wake up at five, go for a walk and clean up the house a little bit, make some breakfast, put on some music and get your day going, you will have accomplished more by 10 a.m. than most people will do all day. And thus we go full circle to if you do what is easy, your life will be hard. And if you do what is difficult, your life will be easy. It's sort of like the infinity sign. You know what I mean by that? It's like an eight, but turned sideways. It's a great image. If, if you can, do this with me. Close your eyes and think of that infinity sign. Think of that number eight turned sideways. Now take your finger and kind of trace it. You go in a loop, goes down, up through the middle, to the left, loops back the other way, to up to the middle again, it crosses, to the right, down. Like that is your life. That is all of our lives. In fact, I would argue that that is the pattern of life. 
Sometimes you're on the upswing, sometimes you're on the downswing. Sometimes you're climbing the mountain, sometimes you're coasting downhill. Sometimes you come to the crossroads. And if you can think of that symbol, if you can think of that pattern, then you can understand where you are in life depending on how you feel. You also have something to look forward to. You also have something to prepare for. You also have something that's a map to help you understand where you're at. And if this metaphor holds true, if this particular symbolic representation of my life and your life is true, then you also know where other people are. It's not that you're ahead. It's not that you're behind. It's just that you're in a different spot. I once heard a great quote that said, don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. The race is long, but in the end, it's with yourself. It's a beautiful, symbolic relationship. It's more than a word. It is more like a picture, more like a thousand words. Or perhaps it's the topic sentence in a paragraph of a thousand words. But I want you to hold that idea, hold that representation of the infinity sign in your mind today and think about where you are. Do you run that particular track through every day? Do you start at the crossroads and make your move up left, down to the right, back to the crossroads, up to the left, back down? Do you run that loop every day? Or is your loop a yearly loop or a weekly loop or a monthly loop? For some people, it's, it's both. You know, now, if you really want to blow your mind, think of that infinity sign like a Russian nesting doll. And you pull that infinity sign off, and there's a smaller one in there. 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 And that'll give you an idea of our fractal nature. You see, I believe that we can learn more from nature than we can from classrooms. In fact, let me twist that around a little bit. I think our environment is a giant classroom. It's a giant experiment. And we're only paying attention to a very small amount of information. It's like we have these big giant blinders on. And we have been conditioned to only see a very limited view, a very narrow focus. And what happens when you have a limited view? What happens when you have a narrow focus? Well, what happens is that you have fewer and fewer opportunities. You have less and less chances of seeing the beautiful things that actually surround you, that are in your life, that are calling to you, that are looking for you. In a way, it's almost as if there's been a concerted effort to stop us from enjoying the true, beautiful nature of ourselves and our environment, and that 
which makes the world better around us. I've heard some, you know, disturbing yet interesting ideas of social engineers who actually believe that if the common person, be it a man, be it a woman, be it a child, if the common person is allowed to pursue their own interests without any sort of authoritarian structure that they would relapse into that of a dumb animal. Not that animals are dumb, but I'm just saying the words that were spoken or written in this article about the fall of man and or the term called regression. There's a large chunk of people in positions of authority who actually believe this. Man left to his own nature would regress to that of a barbarian or a caveman or some sort of babbling idiot. I would argue that the people who believe that, the authoritarians, those are the actual babbling idiots. You know, there's a lot of fascinating work that has been done in science. Everyone knows about the different rat experiments, particularly the one where they put these mice or they put these rats in a cage and they give them this big giant bar to push for drugs, be it opiates or cocaine. And, you know, you can read the results where there's a certain overwhelming percentage of the rats that will push the bar until they get enough of the drugs until they die. Well, that study has been flawed. You see, that study measures not only how many times the animal pushes the bar, but it also measures something else. Quite a few things, and those variables until recently have kind of been left out, and that is the environmental variables. Imagine being plucked from your family, from all that you love, from all that you know, put into solitary confinement, or maybe into a small cell with people you don't like, and then given the opportunity to have a mental escape. The majority of people, or a higher number of people that were in their natural environment, a higher number of people would push that bar and take the drugs until they die because they don't want to be there. It's the amount of stress. It's the feeling of isolated imprisonment in an unnatural world. I want you to think for a moment why a study like that would be done. What would a team of scientists, what would the people who are sponsoring that particular experiment be trying to figure out? Let's take this group of people from their natural environment and put them into an incredibly stressful environment and see how much weight we can put on them until they murder themselves, until they kill themselves. Because we want to figure out exactly where that precipice is. We want to be able to see the very breaking point of these animals. Because we think it's important to understand just exactly how much stress we can put on them. We would also like to figure out how much of this drug they can take that will keep them in this environment. 
how do we get these animals to stay in this environment? How much drugs do we need? How much stress do we need? When do they break? When are they most productive? See, when you look at the rat experiments from the point of view of those who are sponsoring the experiment, you begin to understand the motivations of doing the experiment. Now the question you need to ask yourself, are you the person who's monitoring the experiment? Are you the person who's paying for the experiment? Or are you the person who's in the experiment? Are you the doctor? Are you the sponsor? Or are you the rat? And I would argue that many of us today, by generational standards, by, by this generational idea of work, have been put in this unnatural environment. How many people are unhealthy? Look at the epidemic of obesity. Look at the epidemic of opiates. Look at the epidemic of abuse. Are we not the rats in the cage? Are we not those same animals who have been plucked from our natural environment and put into some sort of giant labor camp? I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday, just almost in passing, and we were talking about work and trying to understand. You know, I asked him like, the question, like, what are we doing? What are we building? Does anybody know? If your answer is society, we're building society, George. Then my follow-up question to you is, well, where is the vote on the kind of society we want to build? When we talk about engineers, we think about people that build things. But look at our leaders. Are not our leaders these societal engineers? Are they not those who build the culture? And it seems to me the culture they're building is built on a foundation of sand. People in positions of authority, at least to me, seems as if they do not thoroughly understand nor do they care about the very people who are doing the building. And that's a big problem. It's a big problem. And so what I want to give to people today is a key. I want to give you a sense of freedom. I want to show you the door to the cage. And hopefully you can walk through it. Because much like Dorothy's ruby red slippers, we have had the ability to leave the cage all the time. It begins with changing the way you think about who you are, where you're at, and the nature of reality. Let me give you an example. You can change your life as fast as you can change the way you think about yourself. Boom, 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 boom. Think for a minute about your story. Think for a minute about the snail shell that you live in that we talked about yesterday. What if there's a better story to tell? Let me give you an example. This is going to sound crazy. 
I, a few years ago, about probably eight or nine years ago now, I was, uh, I had left for work out on my route and my phone started blowing up. You know what I mean by that? Like, usually someone will call you once. Maybe they call you twice back to back if it's an emergency. I had, I was driving and my phone just started just blowing up, blowing up. And, you know, I'm driving, so I can't really stop and look. This is, and for those of you wondering, no, I don't have a car where you plug in your phone and it tells you who it is. I got an old pickup. And so my phone is blowing up, blowing up, blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. Someone must have called me like, no joke, probably nine or ten times in a row. And so as I pull off to the side and check my phone, I realize it's not only been one call from these guys, but my wife has called. And my wife has called multiple times. So, of course, the first thing I do is I call my wife back. And she says, George, is there something you need to tell me? And so now I'm getting scared a little bit. I go, no, but there is this guy that keeps blowing up my phone. She goes, yeah, he said he's from the CIA. What, what's going on, George? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I've got nothing to hide, love. And so now I'm getting a little bit scared. She goes, yeah, these guys came to the house. They tried to come into the house. And, you know, I told them to get the hell out of here. My wife is a gangster, isn't she? I got, you know, they kept asking for you. They asked if you lived here. They asked who I was. And they were pretty forceful. And so now I'm even a little bit more nervous. So finally, I call the guy back. And he's like, Mr. Monty. And I said, uh, speaking, who's this? And the gentleman said, my name is Agent so-and-so. I'm with the CIA. Sir, I need to see you now. I'm like, what is this regarding? You know, and he had a pretty stern voice. And then I get a little nervous because I'm like, what? Did I do something wrong? What the hell's going on? What does this guy know about? But then I rack my brain and I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. What, what, what the hell would this guys, what would these guys want with me? And he's like, I need to see you now. How about I come to your work? And I'm like, that's a horrible idea. You should never come to my work. Why don't you meet me out where I am? He says, fine. Where are you at? So I tell him where I am. He says, I'll be there in, you know, 20 minutes. He says, great. So I'm racking my brain and I start thinking like, man, have I ordered anything online that's illegal? And I start racking my brain. I'm like, man, I, I read maybe 100 books a year. Maybe, maybe I've, maybe it is the recent purchase of the Unabomber Manifesto. Maybe because I bought two copies of that. Hey, maybe I have bought these things online that could, maybe my buying habits are, look suspect. And then I'm like, that's ridiculous. That, they wouldn't care about that. And so I'm racking my brain thinking about stuff, and I'm like, man, is it because I ate some mushrooms? Is it because I smoked some weed? I'm like, that's nah, none of that. That's ridiculous. And I decided to meet him in this park-like area where it's big and open. So the 20 minutes go by, and I walk up to the meet point. I had parked my truck, and they see me, and I wave to them, and the one guy's carrying a file. And as we're walking toward each other, we're kind of sizing each other up. And I'm like, these guys are younger than me. Hmm. They driving an unmarked, you know, RAV4. Looks kind of odd. And so as we approach, they look at me. And so finally, the two agents show up. And sure enough, the guys pull out their badges. They show me they're from the CIA. They say, are you George Monty? I said, yeah. Shake their hands and they present me with a file. You know who these people are? And it was like these random photographs of kind of a big fat white guy with like a mullet 
and I'm looking at these photos, I'm a little bit mesmerized. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. That's what I'm thinking in my head. And as I'm thinking, I'm looking through these photos, I'm like, I wonder if these guys are just watching me look at these photos, and these photos are of nobody. And I go, fold up the folder, and I hand it back to him. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. I have no idea who any of these people are. And he's like, well, how do you think that this person got your, got your license, your identification? Did you give this person your identification? And now I'm like, what in the world is this guy talking about? And then, boom, it hits me. I go, oh, I got pickpocketed at Christmas time last year. And then I see these two guys, oh, they kind of deflate. You know, it's like they had this idea in their mind that whatever this guy was doing, I was a part of. And sudden realization dropped on both of us. And I go, does this guy have my ID? Does this guy have my wallet? Because I would like that stuff back. And he's like, well, can you prove you were pickpocketed? And I'm like, yeah, I can prove it. I filed a police report, number one. Number two, there's video footage of it because the dummy that stole my stuff tried to buy a watch at the Nordstrom's. And at that point in time, all the air goes out of those guys, and they're just like, oh, okay. And I'm like, why? What is this guy doing? And they're like, he's actually up to some pretty bad stuff. And, you know, truth be told, he was caught in Kauai, and he said that you gave him this idea, and he pinned a lot of this stuff on you. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. So we chit-chatted a little bit, and then the guys went on to tell me that they had come to my house. They were forceful when they spoke to my wife and my mother-in-law, and they apologized to me for it. But that's not the moral of the story. The, the moral of the story is that when they left, there was a radical shift in my thinking. Because for a while, I didn't know who I was. Was I an innocent victim of a pickpocket that was committing crimes? Or was I somebody who was capable of being wanted by the CIA? And I, I ran with that thought for a minute. I said, you know what, why not? Why not? Maybe I'm a criminal mastermind. Maybe those guys don't know. Maybe I am involved in that. Maybe I outsmarted these rookies and they had no idea what the hell I was talking about. Maybe that was all lies. Maybe I just lied right to their face. They would never know. And it threw me for a loop because for a minute I put myself in a position of like this international mastermind James Bond criminal. And I know that sounds ridiculous. I know it does. But for a minute, in the beginning it was for a minute I was that person. And I thought, wow, that's exciting. And for a minute, then I started thinking about it. I'm like, those guys thought that I was that guy. I could be that guy. I'm way smarter than those dummies. I would have never got caught, though. You know, and I just, I took it. I took it and I ran with it. And in my mind, I created a life for myself that I had never seen before. And I came up with a list of crimes that maybe I would have done. They were nowhere near these silly crimes that this dummy did. They were interesting and incredibly daring and for the good of humanity in my own way. And then I thought to myself, as I was thinking about that, like I got so deep in that mindset 
that for a minute I became that guy and then for a day and then and then I thought about what my life would be like if I was that person and that was the first time I murdered somebody <laughs> I'm just kidding I would never murder anybody I got you though huh you thought I did <laughs> and then I started thinking about like wow I could have so much more in the ways of material goods if I was that person. And then, like, this whole shift happened. Like, well, I don't have to be that criminal personality to have more. What if I just thought about myself differently? What if I quit thinking about being the person I am and started thinking about the person I'm capable of being? And that is a tremendous exercise in imagination. And it fundamentally changed who I am today. Because that day, part of me died. That day, part of me was maybe not dead, but awakened. This spark of creativity, this Promethean flame was sparked in my soul. And it changed the way I saw myself. It changed the way in which I lived in the environment. It changed those around me. And it made me understand what is possible. Not what is, what is possible. And it was a fundamental shift. And it was fast. And it's lasting. You are limited only by the way you think of yourself. You're limited by the blinders that come standard with the base model package. But you need not keep those governors on. You need not keep those blinders on. The scales fall from your eyes if you have the fortitude to clean them. If you can clean the windows of perception. You can see things clearly. It can be scary. It should be scary. But every day you should do something that scares you. That's called living. Living a life worth living. Which is one of the main pillars in my book. In my book, The Terror Before the Sacred, I speak about three main pillars. One is a lifetime of learning. Two is to never value money or a job over lifestyle. And three is to understand that your life is a beautiful masterpiece. It'll bring some people to tears. It'll drive some people to rage. But you are the hero of your own story. Never forget that. Your work is a beautiful, your life is a beautiful work of art that people should want to read. They should want to admire. They should want to scream at and yell at. And if you can live your life that way, with passion and love for yourself as the hero of your novel, Whatever your story is, it doesn't have to be some mastermind criminal or some sort of 
rocket building CEO, but you are the hero of your own story. And if you act like that, people will treat you like that. There's people in your life that need you to be the hero, so do it. The world needs heroes. And there's nothing overconfident. There's nothing that is bad. There's nothing that is assholish about being the hero. Although sometimes you may be an asshole. Strive to be the hero. Strive to tell a story or participate in a work of art that will serve as a torch to light the way for those who need to see. That is being a hero. When you get to the top, you turn around and you pull the next one up so someone else can tell the story. Someone else can explain the view from the top. Someone else can explain the path they took to get here. Because the more of us who can explain the path, explain the obstacles, talk about where they got caught up, the easier it'll be for someone else to climb the mountain. And that's our goal. Each one, teach one. Now, that's about enough for today. I love you guys. Let's get up and handle it. taking a moment to hang out with me in the true life podcast i truly appreciate it if you're taking some time to listen to this whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way i truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart additionally i would like to try to inspire everyone the world is a crazy place and if you listen to your heart 
and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.